when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Welcome to FT Politics, a weekly discussion on what's happening in Westminster from the Financial Times. I'm Sebastian Payne. This week, we'll be discussing what has been a pretty big week in British politics. We've seen the emergence of the independence group of MPs with defections from Labour and the Conservative parties. We'll be discussing through what happens, what it all means and what it might head next, particularly with regards to Brexit. I'm delighted to be joined by James Blitz, our Whitehall editor and political correspondent Laura Hughes. Thank you all for joining. And if you like this episode of FT Politics, then why not subscribe through all the usual channels to receive it every Saturday morning? Or you could even leave us a nice review on iTunes. So, after weeks, months, even years of speculation, the ice finally broke this week. On Monday morning, the gang of seven Labour MPs walked into a rather small room on London's South Bank to announce they were quitting the party and forming the Independent Group. They were then soon followed by an eighth colleague, Joan Ryan. And then on Wednesday, three UFR Conservatives joined them to make the Independent Group a truly cross-party centrist endeavour. So, is this the beginning of a major political realignment in Britain, or just a splinter that was always going to happen. Laura Hughes, let's begin with Monday and that press conference. So I can't really think when the speculation began about Labour MPs breaking away. I guess not long after Jeremy Corbyn won his second leadership contest, but no one really knew exactly when it was going to happen. And some people thought it might happen on Valentine's Day. It might happen last Friday. It might happen over the weekend. And on Monday, it did finally happen. We've been talking about this for almost years, I would say. We've known that there has been huge dissatisfaction among a number of Labour MPs who have never come to terms with Jeremy Corbyn as their leader. We've also, in parallel along with that, seen lots of cases of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Criticism over Jeremy Corbyn has handled it. And then separate to that, we've also had seen a number of Labour MPs uncomfortable with the party's position on Brexit. So what happened is all three of those things seem to have come together at this one point. It was interesting timing to do it half term week when a lot of kind of the more senior political journalists were away. A lot of MPs were actually on holiday. It wasn't recess this week, but it was a one line whip. So there weren't many MPs around. Interesting timing. And the way that they did it as well, it was very coordinated. There weren't really many leaks. There was an extraordinary moment on Monday when we all got that email saying there was going to be this press conference and rumours were swirling. But it did make a huge impact when it did actually happen. And nobody really knew exactly who was going to go from the Labour Party. And I guess one of the interesting things was that it was seven MPs and not more than that, because there had been talk of almost 30 MPs quitting the Labour Party, which may still happen in the weeks and months ahead. But the group before it was even formed, there were reports of it descending into arguments and bickering about who was going to lead it, who would be allowed in 
and what would it look like. But those seven who went there, and I guess the key figures were um, Chuka Umana, who is the MP for Streatham and a long-term People's Vote campaigner. Chris Leslie, MP from Nottingham East, who again is being very anti-Jeremy Corbyn. But crucially, Luciana Berger, the MP for Liverpool Wavertree. And I think she was the person that made this more than just a rallying cry against Labour's Brexit policy because she opened the press conference. She gave a very powerful speech talking about how she'd been bullied and treated by the party and how the leadership hadn't done anything about it. Yeah, I think she did add real weight to it. And you're right, she made the group feel as if it was more than just Brexit. And it was predictable for Chukar Amunas to go. He always sort of knew that he's been unhappy. He checked out mentally a long time ago. I think a lot of MPs had checked out mentally a long time ago, but particularly him. And he's been so vocal that a lot of people probably have already heard of him. Luciana has been really powerful in the Commons every time she's stood up and spoken about anti-Semitism. She's well-liked in the party. It looks less, you know, Brexit politically motivated. Her being there on that platform, I thought, it wouldn't look calculating in a way that perhaps some sort of hardline Corbynistas might say that Chicker and Chris Leslie have been. It sounds strange to say she's got a political agenda, but this really came from her heart. This is something she really believes in. And she did give the group a bit of weight. And then there were some MPs that I imagine most of the public haven't heard of, but who have quietly been unhappy for a very long time. Angela Smith being one of them. And it's interesting. I think the crucial thing here is who joins them. I imagine there would have been conversations going on for quite a long time as to who might go. It was interesting that so few people really did know who was going to enter the fray. I know I'm sure Mary Cray is, is one Labour MP, for example. I can think of a whole host of MPs that have mentally checked out from Labour because they don't like Jeremy Corbyn, who would have been asked to join, who have probably thought about it and are still thinking about it now. James Blitz, what did you make? Pull back the camera lens for the moment on the independent group because this has been described as the biggest schism on the British left for nearly four decades since the SDP was founded in the early 1980s. And there are some similarities with that. Obviously, there was the gang of four big beasts who left the Labour Party to form the Council of Social Democracy that then morphed into the SDP a few months later. So there was a gang of seven here, but they weren't quite the big beasts. You know, they weren't the Roy Jenkins who had been Home Secretary. They weren't the Shirley Williams who'd been Education Secretary. The only actual experience in office you had was Chris Leslie, who I think was a junior minister under the new Labour government. That's absolutely right, sir. But there isn't that feeling that you had back in 1981 when the STP was formed. And I remember it myself. I was actually in the Connaught Rooms in Long Acre in 1981 when Roy Jenkins, Shirley Williams, David Owen and Bill Rogers set up the SDP. I I was there not as a reporter, but as an activist student. I'd been supportive of Labour, but I felt that the SDP was the future. So you don't have that éclat, that, that sense of an explosion that you had at that moment. But I still think that the prospects for this group, this centrist group, are pretty good. And I say that because in the end, if you go back to the 1980s, what really in the end undermined the SDP and the SDP Liberal Alliance was that Labour moved away from this really rather extremist position that it was in in the early 1980s under Michael Foote and under the strong influence of Tony Benn. When people have forgotten, Labour in the early 80s was not only for leaving the European community, it was also for leaving NATO. It had a very, very left-wing agenda. But the fact is that when Kinnock actually became leader in uh, 1983, he began to move the 
party towards the centre ground. It was a very slow process, and of course he had to fight off Derek Hatton at that time. But he did move the party towards the centre ground, and by the late 1980s, you could see the major figures of New Labour beginning to come to the fore. Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, you also had, I suppose, other big hitters like Brian Gould, now forgotten, but people who were much more established in the public mind. And the difference now is that you don't feel that's going to happen with Labour. I mean, Labour is in a very different place as a party from where it was in the mid-1980s. Under Corbyn and McDonnell, it really is in a much more extreme position. The level of disaffection is far greater. The problem of what Luciana Berger calls institutional anti-Semitism is something very deep-seated and a phenomenon that simply did not exist in Labour in the 1980s. And so for that reason, unless you saw a really quite remarkable volt fast inside Labour, either by Mr Corbyn or that he was replaced by somebody a great deal more moderate, I actually think this group has got a lot of momentum behind it. And I think this is the key point, James, that a lot of people have been saying this week, well, let us not forget the SDP was a disaster. It didn't achieve its potential. It didn't win that many seats in the 1983 general election by 1987 in the early 90s. It had sort of fizzled away. But the key point of it was the effect it had on the Labour Party. The Labour did have to shift. But the left is so much more entrenched now in Labour than it was in the 1980s because People like Tony Benn never got to senior leadership positions within the party, whereas John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn are at the top of Labour. And what I think has been striking this week is that there's been no talk of this being any challenge to his position or him changing tack, that you have seen people like Tom Watson, the deputy leader, coming out and saying, we need to listen more to MPs, we need to be more inclusive, we need to bring more social Democrats into the shadow cabinet. And that's had very short shrift from the leadership. Yes, that's right. But I think in the long run, of the two main parties, Labour and the Conservatives, Labour is the one which is much more threatened by this phenomenon. I mean, we haven't talked about the Conservatives yet, but if you look at them, they've had these three MPs who've come over from the Conservative Party over to the independent group, which is a smaller number. I mean, I think one of the big questions is going to be whether that can increase at all. The real difference is that Although the Conservative Party is very split over Brexit, obviously between the European Research Group and the Moderates, it's still fundamentally pro-Brexit. It's still willing to see Brexit pushed through. It's far more disciplined around that principle. There's obviously a few people on the fringes like Dominic Grieve and Philip Lee who are really totally anti-Brexit, and you never know, those people might come over. But they're going to be small in number. The point, I think, is this independent group is really a much more social democratic phenomenon. And I think it's something which the Conservatives are going to be a little bit more uncomfortable with. I mean, it's certainly the case that back in the mid-1980s, there were big ideological splits within the SDP between people like David Owen and Shirley Williams. David Owen was much more of a free marketeer who many people thought really ought to have been in the Conservative Party, a bit like Blair. And Shirley Williams was much more on the kind of Wilsonian social democratic wing. So you did see those splits. And there'll be those tensions within the independent group. But by and large... It's a party which will, I think, have more social democratic, centre-left-leaning roots. So, as James mentioned, Laura, it then, on Wednesday, was a crucial day for growing this group because up until that point, it was very much a Labour splinter. And then we saw three Conservatives resign the whip and join. They were Heidi Allen, 
Anna Subri and Dr. Sarah Wollaston. Now, again, much like the Labour's, they mentally had checked out from their party a long time ago. There is only about eight supporters of a people's vote within the Conservative Party, and those were the key people who decided to go then. What did you make of, Laura, you were there at the press conference Wednesday announced it, and I thought what was striking was when the gang of seven announced they were going. It was very sombre. You could see the distress in their face. You could see how they felt. This was a hard decision for them. But for the Conservatives, it felt and looked like a liberation in a way. They were beaming. They were happy. And it was like a weight had been taken off their shoulders. Yeah, particularly for Heidi Allen, who has made a name for herself as speaking out on things that aren't necessarily particularly Tory. A lot of people have been saying for years, is she Lib Dem, is she Labour? You know, she's not really a real Tory. And you could see her excitement. And it was quite emotional as well. I think Anna Subri was the most emotional. I think she was the one that said it was incredibly hard for her to leave all the activists that have gone out on the streets campaigning for her. And she'd served as a minister. She, out of the three, I would say, is the most sort of traditional conservative I think those three joining on Wednesday was a huge moment because it did then become more than just a Labour fringe group. It was at that moment that I think people started to speculate, Okay, does this have the legs, does this have the grounds to actually go and come on to be a whole new political party? Those three, you're right, were not a surprise. We were all predicting it the day before. Those are the three names that were going around. I think we might see a couple more go. But in a way, it's more interesting, I think, for the independent group to get heavier hitters from the Labour side. I think if they got Yvette Cooper, for example, that would be huge. Tom Watson, Keir Starmer, that, I'm not sure that they would go, but that would be a really big moment. Whereas for the Tories, I'm not sure that many more could cross over for now because I think for a lot of them, their sights are set on the Tory leadership election and that for them, that is the moment to reset the party. Not now. Why leave now when you have a chance to elect someone as your leader that might signal a shift in direction and make the party look a bit more as it used to under Cameron? I think that's the point that the three MPs on Wednesday were making is this is not what the party used to look like. It's completely changed. It's moving to the right, talking about purple momentum, UKIP supporters, hardline Eurosceptics. Once Brexit is done and it's gone, I think there are a lot of Tory MPs who are just as unhappy as Anna and, and Heidi and Sarah, but who think, well, it's all right, we have a chance to reset this in a way that the Labour Party don't. Indeed. And Heidi Allen had said, you know, if Boris Johnson or Jacob Rees-Mogg become leader, then I'm off anyway. And well, Jacob Rees-Mogg, maybe not so like, but Boris Johnson is probably still the favourite to be the next Conservative leader. But what was also, again, striking the difference was the reaction from their old parties. So a lot of people never expressed regret, but there was a lot of anger as well. And particularly with Ian Austin, who's not part of the independent group, but on Friday announced that he was quitting the party to sit as just a total independence, lest we get confused between these two things. Again, over the issue of anti-Semitism, you know, there's been a reaction from somebody which is don't let the door hit you on your way out. Whereas the Conservatives has been one of huge regret. And Ian Duncan Smith, we know, messaged Conservative MPs. And this is a former leader, someone from the Brexit wing, saying, I hope they come back that we do want them back. And I think that is the general sense in Conservative backbenchers that they work quite hard to keep these people on board. They've done a lot of things, even though their view on Brexit is outside the mainstream of Conservative MPs. Yeah, I think you're right. Deep sadness from the likes of Amber Rudd, really public 
tweets from MPs like Stephen Crabbe saying we cannot afford to lose MPs like Anna Subri. I think those three were important, particularly Sarah and Heidi, because they represented this compassionate conservatism that the party needs to rekindle with because that's the problem is that there is a feeling because of Brexit that Tory associations are getting harder, getting more Eurosceptic, getting more right wing. I think it's always been the case though that Tory associations and chairmen have tended to be rather to the right than MPs and definitely Tory voters which is why I think there is something different going on between the Labour Party and the Conservative Party. I think Conservative Party's always had that issue. It's only really being talked about and written about in the specific context of Brexit. I think most Tory party chairmen keep pretty quiet and remain very loyal to their Prime Minister generally. This has just been so divisive that I think... I'm just thinking of the James Cleverleys and the... Tom Tugendhats, who see a future for themselves potentially as leaders of the party. Vicky Atkins, you know, I don't think they're giving up in a way that the perhaps more progressive Labour MPs are. I think for them, they feel like this has just split the party in a huge way and it's all gone very nasty. I think the Tories don't think this is the end. Heidi Allen saying they're going to destroy the Tory party. I'm not so sure that that's possible. I just think this is much more damaging for Labour, this independent group, than it is the Tories. But one group law that could be destroyed by the independent group is the Liberal Democrats, because they're a party that occupy the same intellectual space on the centre ground, mixing economic pragmatism with a focus on social justice. And that was where the party grew in the noughties. But then it was so damaged during the coalition years and it suffered from not very good leadership under Tim Farron and Vince Cable. It is a big quandary for the independent group what they do with the Lib Dems because they occupy the same intellectual space, speaking to the same centre-ground voters. But if they merge or bring them on board, then they'll just become tainted too. Yeah, so I think there's a split even within the Lib Dems over this. I think some Liberal Democrats I've speaking to this week are really excited. They'd love to get this, on board. Yeah, then they're looking at this new group and they're saying, right, they've got the generals, but we've got the army, we've got the base, we've got the support, let's work together. And then you also have others going, no, no, this is kind of our patch, just being a bit wary of them. And I think from the TIG perspective... The Lib Dems are slightly tarnished because of what they did in the coalition. That brand's been damaged and they're trying to set a whole new political narrative. They've actually called on the Lib Dems to come and join them, not in a formal alliance, but to physically renounce their Liberal Democrat membership. I'm not sure many Lib Dems would do that because they're sort of a small, happy family at the moment. They're not dissatisfied with their leadership. And again, I think Joe Swinson, who's the deputy, and Leila Moran are setting their sights on the leadership one day. So I think that will be the interesting point. When Vince Cable goes and they have a new leader, it's a new brand, it's a new start. Maybe a Joe Swinson type figure could enter into informal coalitions or alliances with TIG on certain issues in the Commons and work together in a more sort of Danish coalition style political system. That could genuinely happen. I think when we've been cynical about what this all means at the moment, I think it's so hard to say that this group doesn't have any policies and that's obviously crucial. And of course they don't. No one would expect them to have policies at the moment. They're just a breakaway group who are trying to gain support and membership. They've already got more followers on Twitter than Momentum, which I think is really interesting and shows that the public are really excited by this. I do think there have been lots of polls out and 
you know, you could be very cynical and say, how can you be excited about something that's just... That doesn't really exist. doesn't exist and, and doesn't have any policies. What it represents for people who are genuinely politically homeless, particularly my generation, who don't affiliate with Labour anymore, they're unhappy with their position on Brexit. The Labour Party supports Brexit, so how do I align with that? The anti-Semitism, the nastiness that we've seen, the Tories, the party of Brexit, the kind of old, pale, stale men running it, and obviously, of course, Theresa May, who they feel isn't representing them in any way. So there is a there is a political homelessness problem in this country. Absolutely. And so this is as an alternative. It's it's been fascinating to me. I've had friends who aren't political at all asking me, oh what do you know, Laura, what does this mean? Is this going to be something? The answer is it really could be. I really think it could be. It's already got the same number of MPs as the Lib Dems. It's got more than the DUP. We've seen how influential small groups can be in our political system. So this could be something. I don't know what the Liberal Democrats are going to be doing. I think Vince Cable is more of a traditionalist, but I could see a new Lib Dem leader doing something a bit more exciting and maybe working with TIG. I guess this is the question for the Tiggers as they've been branded this week. What is going to happen next? Because when they launched, they published this statement of independence, which was a very loose collection of social democratic principles, which I think anybody from the centre left to the centre right could read and say, yeah, that roughly sounds good to me. And that was obviously what they did to bring the Conservative MPs on board. But at some point, it is going to transform into a proper political party. I think that's what's going to happen. You know, Chris Leslie and Chuka, they are very keen to do that. At that point, you will have to have policies. You will have to have a manifesto. And that's when I think keeping it all together and keeping that freshness, which is what it feels at the moment, will start to come off a little bit. And there's also the question of by-elections as well, because when Mark Reckless and Douglas Carswell left the Conservatives to join UKIP, they made a big point saying, we believe in democracy and we're going to stand down have a by-election and they won both those by-elections they subsequently lost both their seats at the general election but all the tickets have said we are not standing for by-elections and their reasons i understand why they're saying we don't want more disruption it's a lawyer to our electorate we still stand for what we were elected on it's just that our parties have changed but on the other hand there is that sense of well you're not really in your parties anymore and people do vote in general elections based on party it is a big calculation so there's gonna be a lot of pressure but i can't really see them relenting the bigger question is We are going to have some by-elections coming up very soon. There's one in Wales following the death of Paul Flynn MP this week. There's likely to be one in Peterborough following Fiona Onasara, who's involved in legal cases at the moment. And it's will TIG be fully formed enough by then to have a party that can stand candidates? Yeah, to field candidates. That is a huge question. I think it's interesting they're choosing not to have by-elections. And their argument is that they haven't changed, their parties have changed. Does that wash with voters? I'm not sure that does wash with voters and it's what Labour is saying too about their MPs look if you're going to break away and stand on this new platform and have the confidence to do that then you should have the confidence to go to your voters and your constituents and ask them to endorse you and your new platform I can understand that because I think a lot of people if let's say there was a snap election in a few months time god forbid how many seats would TIG actually win because there is a very real chance that this whole thing could be a flash in the pan and then we have a snap election and we have an election far sooner than we would have expected and all those MPs lose their seats because Tories might think they have a chance under a new leader, they might be excited by someone else or they just they don't really get this new party and it hasn't had time to form itself, in which case you could easily wipe half or all of them out. And then what? What happens if all their MPs go? I genuinely don't know. 
if, let's say, if Anna Subri was to run as a TIG candidate next week in a by-election, would she win? I don't know if she would win. And that's an interesting question. And I think they should possibly have the confidence to do so. I can understand why that's not what the public want. But equally, do you not have a duty to the people that voted you into office? I'm not so sure. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much to Laura and James for joining. In the meantime, if you've liked what you've heard and would like to enjoy more FT journalism, then do take a look at our latest subscription offers, which you can find at ft.com forward slash offer. FT Politics was presented by me, Sebastian Payne, and produced by Caroline Grady. Until next time, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.